Welcome to the Business Sphere. On this podcast, we want to share real stories and real struggles from entrepreneurs who have been where you are. John Fong interviews business professionals and entrepreneurs in many fields to uncover their successes and challenges. We take a deep dive into their journey and provide you with tips and advice to help your business today. Thank you for listening today. Don't forget to subscribe and share this episode. My guest today is the founder and CEO of Raise the Bar and Stride. Aaron helps businesses succeed by providing leadership training and confidential coaching for all employees. Thanks for joining me today, Aaron. Thanks for having me, John. It's a pleasure to be here. So I'm excited to learn a little bit about your backstory. So how do people know you, you know, from when you first started and how did you become who you are today? Uh, <laughs> you, you prepped me a little bit, but it's still a big question when it comes off. Um, you know, I think when I think back to that, you know, that question and how do people know me and uh, more of kind of like my journey, I would think is it goes back to some of the memories of loving films in high school. I just was a geek about loving movies and I wanted to go into, um, I actually became a film major and a business major in college because I love that feeling when you left a movie and it changed your perspective on the world. You would go into a movie or a documentary and you leave and, and think differently about the world. And I was always fascinated by this idea of human behavior change. How do we change the way we think? How do we change the way we act? Why do we do what we do? And I didn't realize it at the time. I didn't realize it when I was, you know, 17, 18, going in and coming out of movies, be like, oh, this is it. Uh, but over time, you know, through college and going through documentary film production and going down that route in school and also being a personal trainer and helping people kind of change their habits and their behaviors and not knowing why I loved it so much, but it started to come together uh, as I was graduating college in my first role at a startup where we looked at why do people do what they do? We were a health and well-being coaching and education company. And I was the first employee. And I really had the chance to start to explore why do people do what they do? Why do some people take action in their lives rapidly and others not so much? Because it's not knowledge. It's not knowing what to do uh, that moves the needle, but it's, it's knowing and having something else. And I wasn't quite sure how to capture that. And so I spent a lot of my time done, like a lot of the books that you have on, on your on your you know, wall behind you are books that I read and explored and studied, uh, you know, looking at Carol Dweck's mindset, looking at uh, Daniel Kahneman and Amos Tversky's work. I looked at Daniel Goleman's work, like all of these different types of works around human behavior, around positive psychology, around behavioral economics. And I studied all of that for our company to understand how do we get people to be healthier. And then uh, it was one thing to just study uh, and look and learn. But as we were doing that, we were a company. And so I was the head of operations and I got to test out these theories with thousands upon thousands of leaders and individuals. And we got to test out what really works and what doesn't. And we did year long coaching programs and week long trainings and lunch and learns and webinars and animated videos and newsletters and text challenges and, uh, you know, all these different types of things. And over the years, this, none of this happened uh, all at once, right? Over the years, it started to formulate in my mind what really works to drive behavior change and what really doesn't. And I also learned that it, like the things that lit me up, the things that got me most excited and most energized were when people had that light bulb moment where it wasn't just, okay, now I know how to change this one thing in my life. They start to know how to change 
so many other things. They start to like drive and move towards action. And it's like the light bulb moment for them uh, where they start to move towards action more readily and more consistently. And, and so I realized I want to be doing more of that in my life. I want to help people awaken to their power and their potential. Uh, you know, as I say now to unlock their potential and all of that, right. All of those early experiences, those journeys, those one-on-one coaching moments where I was coaching people um, to be healthier or run their business better or, team members to, to elevate their games, those moments built up with kind of all this training started to help me realize, Hey, what really matters to me is helping people unlock their potential. And I just want to be doing more of that. And so I maneuvered my way and started to make my journey much more clearly and with focus to say, how do I help people unlock their potential? And what are the problems that I'm seeing in people doing that right now? And, um, I was, you know, my mid twenties millennial, uh, jumping from, you know, seeing friends jump from job to job to job. And I realized companies want their people to succeed. Employees want to be great at their, at their jobs, but it's not happening, right? There's a discontent and a disconnect and a disengagement. And we're seeing it again today, uh, with the incredible amount of job hopping and people leaving. And I, I wondered why I wonder what was behind that. And it's, not anything new. Uh, you open up any one of these books, right? Like the go giver, John, on the you know, top, top of your screen, you realize that managers are the reason that people stay or the reason that people leave their jobs, right? A manager who can actually support and help grow. Those were the examples that I heard of people saying, I've been here for seven, eight, nine years um, versus the people who are jumping from job to job to job. They said, my manager sucked. Um, and I realized what happens is managers are promoted because they're good at what they do, not because they're good at leading people. And they're promoted because they're like, they're the top performer, but being a top performer does not have the same skill set as a leader of people. And so knowing a couple of things, one is I know how to help people drive change. And two, I'm a certified coach. And we actually built a coach training at our first company and knowing how to like, as I went through the coach training and I got the coaching skills, I was like, man, this is not just helping me be a better coach. Yes, but it's helping me be a vastly better leader. And how do we give this to every manager, equip them with the tools to be coaches of their people. So their people unlock their potential. So their teams elevate themselves. And that was kind of the the start, you know, the real genesis of the journey of what started raise the bar. And then eventually stride, uh, you know, several years after it and raise the bar was designed to help build better leaders. I mean, that's, if you go to our website, you look at what we do, it's like our sole focus, very niche. Um, We help build better leaders. We help create companies where leaders are your coaches, where they're not task managers, but they're the people that unlock your potential. And, you know, like that's the future vision that I see for the world is, is a world where managers are coaches, where, where managers are people who unlock the potential of their team and their people. And it just would make work a whole lot more fun, a lot more engaging. Um, and it, it, in my mind, is the future of the world of work. We're not there yet by any means. We have a long way to go. Uh, but that's the journey that like that I'm on currently, um, and we're looking to do uh, at Raise the Bar, at Stride, with the Open Honest and Direct community, um, all of that. That's amazing. I, I love how you got started um, by actually living through that personal tr- uh, training journey of yours, like making seeing small transformations, right? Not that just psychologically, but like physically as well. Um, and then embodying these habits um, of things, right? Like, and then you'll notice that things get brighter on the other side. Like all these other things start happening when one of these core foundations gets changed, right? 
Um, and I think it all starts in the mind, right? Like you have to have some sort of strong mind will to take action, but also there's people that need to support you. Um, so question I wanted to ask you, like how long were you on that journey of being that um, sucking command in that company before you transitioned to starting your own company? So, yeah, I mean, we had a, we had a great team in command there. I, I would say I was one part of that picture and I got to learn from a bunch of people there, but we, I, I did that for about five, six years um, of that journey. And then I was going to build, raise the bar. And, um, and I was talking to our founders, one of which was my brother. And they said, Hey, talk to this guy uh, before you go. And and he was a consultant that we had worked with, and he focused on an actuarial consulting firm focused on wellness and the future of work, essentially. Um, and so I looked at him, and his name was Andrew Sykes, and he he's great at selling. And he convinced me, he's like, come do this with me. And as I looked at it, and I kind of mapped out, I like remember going to a coffee shop and mapping out, if I go into a cons another consulting firm versus building, raise the bar. What does that mean? What does that look like? What do I want to get out of it? And I was very clear to say, I want to grow by learning from you. I've done operations, but I've never, I've never sold. I've never done the things that are required to build a business, right? Running a good business, you need to have actually clients and you need to have people in. And so I got clear to say, Hey, I want to come here and learn and grow and develop and get mentored. And so I spent a year doing that and actually had a brilliant time. We had a blast, but we didn't end up building the more in-depth trainings and products that I was looking to do. And so I said, it's time for me. Like the problem still isn't solved in the market. I don't see it being solved. And we need to go to work on empowering managers to be better leaders of people uh, and, and really hit that at the core level of working one-to-one -one with managers or one to groups with managers. And so that was you know, I kind of had a little interlude there, which was incredibly helpful. I learned, I learned so much about uh, getting out of my comfort zone, about selling, about, you know, even building new products again in a different environment, a different scenario. Um, and what's tremendously valuable for kind of the next step for myself. And then early stages uh, question, was this you and this partner of yours, um, was it funded or were you kind of just in it bootstrapping, trying to figure out generating revenue from the offset. You're talking about with raise the bar. Yes. Raise the bar. So raise the bar. I went off and did that on my own. I left the consulting firm, uh, habits at work and I created raise the bar on my own. Um, and it was bootstrapped. I looked at my wife and I said, Hey, we have, uh, this many months of runway and you know, every dollar that we bring in extends the runway. And I built them, you know, uh, you know, very crude model in Excel and said like, here's what we spend every month. Here's what our mortgage is. Like, here's what we're going to live off of. And we're going to like, I have an idea that it'll take six to nine months to gain any sort of traction. Um, but if we do it in six to nine months, then we're really going to, we should be okay. And here we are today. Uh, <laughs> we're still around. We still can pay the mortgage. Uh, and you know, the team's grown vastly since then, but yeah, it was definitely, uh, and it still has been, you know, bootstrapped from the very start. So how many years has it been? And tell us a little bit about uh, the times of, because every business goes through ups and downs, right? So some of the challenges, some of the high moments of this journey so far at Raise the Bar. So it's been almost just about five years, nearly five years since we started. We started with just me and now we have, 
our 15th person starting on Friday. Um, I believe 15 or 16. Um, so the team has grown. It's, you know, it's definitely the high moments are these moments where you have team members joining the team and you have other people leading and living into this vision. That was this idea that you had and living into our values, um, and communicating it. Like those are the exciting moments. Um, I mean, I kind of have them daily. I had somebody, a leader who went through our training. We've had hundreds of leaders go through our trainings and a leader who went through our training last week, emailed me and said, I'm running this, um, leadership group with, you know, people in my space, he's an engineer with other engineers and we have a book book club and we're, you know, we're going to use your book for our book club. My book is open, honest, and direct. And he's like, do you have any other, besides the talking points that are in the book, do you have any other good ideas? And I was like, I'm just like, I, I I'm just so honored and grateful that you chose to use my book for your book club. Like that's incredible. Um, those, those are like the little moments are high moments where you kind of pinch yourself and you say, Oh, this is, I'm still doing this. Uh, this is a living. I get to you know, work with amazing clients and amazing people on our team that just love what they do and we have fun. And um, so, yeah, there, there's high points all along the way. I would say one of the things that really helped me get off my feet and we're talking, you know, early entrepreneurship days and something that I try and pay back as much as I can is talking to other entrepreneurs at whatever stage they were at. Um, you know, ones that had just started their business nine months before me and ones that had started the business three years before me and ones that had just sold their business, right? Getting all of those perspectives really helped. And I remember somebody early on told me the first nine months really suck. Actually, it wasn't somebody, it was multiple people told me this, right? The first nine months, the first year, the first 18 months really suck. And one said, right, you go, I, I once went three months without closing a deal in my first year. And just knowing that was really helpful because that was very true. You know, there were getting off the ground, getting your idea from, you know, a notepad to somebody buying it. Um, that took, I would say six to nine months to really formulate and be something that could actually be sold as a product. I had ideas of what I wanted and I had all these things, but I wasn't going to build anything until we sold it, but I had frameworks and different things. And it just, it morphed and merged that I had conversation. I think I had 300 different conversations with business businesses in my first year. Um, and not all of them were direct sales, but they were ways in, right? They were connections. They were people who can connect me with somebody else. They were people who would give me help or advice and people I still meet for coffee with um, and say thank you or learn from them or share, you know, connections with them now. But it was all those things were, were excitements, but also challenges, right? The first year I tell any entrepreneur, you have no idea if what you're doing is right. <laughs> like we had a strategy. Part of my strategy was to build thought leadership in the space of leadership, in the space of millennials, in the space of um, coaching as a manager, like thought leadership in those spaces, write articles for Forbes, write a book, like all these things are going to come over time. And in the long run, that's going to pay off. Well, when you're doing it in your first year, you have no freaking clue if anybody's reading it or doing it right. If you have 10 readers or a thousand readers, but that's no business. Right. And so you're making estimated guesses. Um, and I, I tell people, it's like, you know, business is a series of experiments. And so I was running experiments and I had no idea if I was doing it right or wrong. And that's really scary. Uh, especially when you don't know if you're going to pay for, you know, mortgage and all those things. And so, um, those first, you know, years and months were definitely hard where you're not sure if you're making the right choice or what, you know, what little decision you make or what option you say in a conversation to a client is going to actually get you the deal or not get you the deal. And, um, so for me, those early years were definitely, they were fun, they were creative, but they were, you know, you're trying to figure out how to make this work. Um, and it definitely has, you know, scary moments. There's definitely a level of anxiety that rides in you. I would say probably for the first 18 months of like, 
okay, are we going to do this? Are we going to, is this going to work? Is this everything going to work? And then there becomes a point, at least, um, you know, when you get a, a couple of big, strong, at least in, in our business, I can't speak for everyone's business, but a couple of big, strong clients and enough traction with in, in the market um, that you can feel confident. Okay, we can do this. We can adapt. We can adjust um, and we can make it work. But first couple of years, whew, it's, uh, it's a journey. A lot of business entrepreneurs uh, don't really understand. And, and again, it's not for everyone either, right? Like you have to be ready for a lot of challenges and mentally prepared. Um, you got to have stability at home. You got to make sure that whatever you put forth, you're okay with the outcome, right? Because not everyone's going to succeed. Not everyone's going to make it out five years, 10 years, exit you know, whatever it is, like be okay with whatever it is that you're going to get yourself into and learn from that mistake or growth or challenges, right? Because all those people who supported you at the beginning, those 300 conversations that you had, um, they were networking opportunities, people that gave you some small little tidbits of advice or guidance and support, um, but they motivated you to continue pursuing, right? But you took action. You actually did something. And that's what I love about entrepreneurs. People that actually make it past two, three, five years, they're already on a different league on their own, right? Because a lot of people would just give up. They're like, just like any relationship, they give up. But if you actually continue pursuing your, your dreams and aspirations and your vision, right? Because this is your purpose. And it seems like you're living proof of it. And it's very similar. Like when I see a staff or a client give some really good positive, you know, testament, like whatever it is, a testimonial case study, just good advice. Like I really admired what you said here. I'm going to take it to heart and I'm going to pursue this. It means the world, right? It's like these small moments, like you mentioned, it's so rewarding because it seems like you're doing something that's really worth it, right? In the end, even though it's not monetary making a big difference, it's these other intangible stuff that are, right, Aaron? So I, if you don't mind sharing, um, were you ever like surrounded by a lot of business owners? Like growing up, were your parents, your family members, anyone in your circle of influence like entrepreneurs in their own right? Like what really mo motivated you to get started and do something that's completely different from everyone else? Um, you know, I think the personalities around me, I have a very independent personality. And so um, I always like growing up, I would ask my mom to have garage sales as often as possible so we could sell stuff in our house and I could, you know, make money doing that. Or we went to, you know, my mom took me to city council once to say like, Hey, can we put up a little stand to make, I don't know, bracelets or something that I could sell on the corner of our house. Um, so I was always kind of like interested in, in doing those things. And, you know, whether it was raising money for charity, those were ways in which you were kind of going out there and putting yourself out there. You know, I could trace that back to uh, my dad is an immigrant from Israel and he, he was a tennis pro and so worked for himself and then became a trader and kind of found his way into that. And you know, each of those are things where your, your livelihood is on your back. Um, and my mom was a travel agent and, and also then became a personal trainer too. And so like 
our family all had their livelihoods on their back and we're just used to that. And my brother, my oldest brother, um, was the founder of the first business that I owned, um, an entrepreneur. He's a doctor as well as a, an MBA and an entrepreneur. And so it just, you know, I think it, it didn't, it didn't make that feel like that was abnormal to go do something on your own. I wouldn't say that that made me say, I'm going to do something on my own from the time I was a kid. No. Um, I probably the best, the, the best, but not the, the nicest thing to say is I probably wasn't great to work uh, at a company. I didn't like, I didn't like to listen to people telling me what to do. Um, and not that I couldn't respect that and be a part of that. I just like, I wanted to do things my own way. And I was always a little bit more independent with that. And that's not necessarily a great reason to start a business. Um, but I think that definitely had an influence of like, Hey, I see some ways in which I want to do these things. I want to build it this way. And I want to influence this when I learned from these different businesses that I was a part of what I did and didn't like. Um, and just thought working for myself was going to be, you know, it is how I want to create this. Amazing. Um, and very similar, uh, topical question. Were there kind of mentors or coaches that you gravitated towards, um, if it wasn't your, your immediate family, were there people that pushed you further? Um, or did you ask for support during those early years, I would say? Oh, I mean, during those early years, my, my old, I mean, both my brothers were a really good support. Uh, my oldest brother, who's an MBA and has his own business and was starting a second business at the time. Um, I had a coach. Um, I've been working with my coach, Rich, for six or seven years now. Um, so I've been working with my coach, Rich, uh, and a lot of mentors, uh, you know, I wouldn't say I've just have one or two. I had a bunch of people who I was connected with through my network, through my brother's network, through people I'd met or known who were just willing to give help. Um, and I, you know, and I just would ask them for coffee or lunch or just a phone call. And I was not shy about like asking for help and learning and asking questions. And I still am doing that. I'm going to lunch with a, with a friend, this week who was tried or it's a SaaS business. Um, and so subscription as a service. And so it's a very different business than raise the bar, which is a leadership development company, um, that does training and coaching. And so I don't know all the ins and outs, but my clients do cause they're, they're SaaS businesses and some mentors do. And so I'm going out to lunch with a mentor to be like, Hey, I need to pick your brain. Like, how did you do this when you built this business and you did these things and tell me a little bit more. I want to just learn and know and, um, so all the time I, you know, I'm just like a thief of everybody else's insights and information and I'm not shy about it. I'm happy to share that information. And I feel like, you know, there's enough, uh, there's enough wins in the world for everybody to get their wins. And so I'm happy to share what works for us at raise the bar and learn what works for others so that maybe we can take some things and, you know, take some of the lessons learned from others. And, and I love hearing that because I've always been curious and, you know, there's, difference in people right like they're introverts or they're extroverts they're shy there's a lot of personality as out there right but for, as an entrepreneur that's actually taking action acknowledging where the gaps where you need to learn where you need help on is a huge thing for a lot of entrepreneurs like a lot of entrepreneurs think they need to do everything but acknowledging where you need help and then finding people for it is probably a skill set on its own, right? And a lot of people don't do it, right? Like the ones that aren't successful, they think they need to touch every aspect of the entire operation, right? But when you start understanding where your strengths are, 
what you actually enjoy doing, then you start allocating people, resources to certain departments. And then you freeze up your time to learn other things that will actually be better for the growth of your business. Right? Yeah, no, that's 100% true. And that's what we've done at, at Raise the Bar as we've grown as a business. I've, you know, if we're going to teach others on how to be coaches and how to lead in, a, in this new way, um, we better be doing it ourselves. And so, you know, I prefer to actually have my hands off of as many things as possible. I don't want to be the single bottleneck in our business because that's not going to make anybody's life fun and it's not going to make my life fun. And um, and that's what inspired Stride really was noticing what was going on in the market, what was going on with our clients and, um, you know, companies will pay more for their managers to get training and to get executive coaching and they'll pay for their execs to get executive coaching. But that's a really expensive service. Um, and we offer it. It's amazing. We have incredible coaches, but we were thinking, how do we actually serve everybody else in the organization, right? If you have an organization of 500, maybe you only have 80 or hundred managers, what happens to the other people? How are they served and supported? And, you know, how, how do we give access to coaching for all, especially as we're talking about this idea of access and equity. And, um, that's where stride really came in. It said like, we can actually be serving companies at a higher level, um, at a deeper level by, offering coaching on demand when people need it. And so stride was this idea that was bubbling and it was kind of on the side and it was like, I don't know how to incorporate, you know, the use of technology with what we're doing, but there's some way. And it was always in the back of my mind. And, um, you know, I was at a wedding in the gym, like before the wedding and, uh, a friend of a friend came up to me and we were talking about our businesses and he was like, we should do something together. And it just kind of blossomed. And we started to explore what stride came to be, which is an on-demand coaching solution for every employee in a company where they have access to chat with a coach whenever they need it. Um, and because it's on-demand coaching and because it's chat-based coaching, it is a much more affordable kind of like monthly option that people can get for all of their people. And, you know, and what we've seen in, initially is just people are asking the types of questions people ask, the type of things people are needing. They wouldn't be getting asked otherwise if we weren't there. And so I wouldn't have known that until we kept our eyes open and explored. And I wouldn't have known that until, you know, going to the, the, the hotel gym and meeting a, a friend of a friend or an old friend and, and him saying, Hey, have you thought about this? And just be like, not in that way. I haven't let's explore and just seeing what blossomed out of it. And it's evolved so many ways, but um, yeah, it's, it's super important and it makes it super fun and interesting. And it's uh, yeah, it keeps life, it keeps life interesting. That's for sure. Well, there's always gaps in the marketplace, right? And then you as an entrepreneur now, you're thinking completely different than when you were an employee, even though you were curious, now you have the foundations in place, right? Like how do you grow, have employees and make your you know, your, your dream come true, right? Like those visions, those values actually implemented to a bigger goal and see it to blossom, right? Into like a real business. So I love hearing that. Um, would you mind sharing um, any your biggest mistake, if if you don't mind? Like I know the five years you must have had some bad hires, bad clients, or something. If you don't mind sharing, um, yeah, I mean it's like where do I start? Uh, there's so many mistakes. There's mistakes on a daily, weekly basis. I mean, we could do a whole episode just on my mistakes. That that's for sure. Um, I'm thinking about this audience and this group and uh, I'll give two of my biggest mistakes. Um, the first one was 
this, these were early on ones I think are really useful when you're starting out, uh, was I was so excited to, to just get working that I sold our services for free um, to a client, uh, a friend and a client. And it was like a big name. And I was like, great, like, we'll do great work with them. And then they'll want to do, and, um, and it was very early on, right? In the first couple of months, we started business. Like, this is great, great start. And we rolled out and we did some of the work. And over the course of a couple of months, it just fell apart. And I remember the day it fell apart to nothing. And I was like, ah, oh, like part of my language was like, is this going to work? Like, is this business going to work? It really made me rethink everything. And I remember calling my coach at the time and he was like, um, the people that you're working with needed context. Like, why are they doing this? And when it's pitched as, Hey, this is free. You get some free solution. Like people didn't, they didn't believe in the weight of it. And we're testing it out. Like it just wasn't, it made me realize like I need one. There were several red flags with the potential client when we started that I just avoided. Cause I was excited about the big name of the client and, and that they were going to be a client. And so I avoided the red flags and I, and I delivered something for free that really didn't give anybody else the commitment to being a part of it. And so I, I learned not to one, I don't, we don't give away things for free. Um, not because I don't want to serve others, but because others, especially in the work of human development and leadership development, if you don't have anything at stake, it's going to be really hard for you to show up in the same way. Um, and I knew that from my research and my studies and I knew that from other work, but like, it just didn't click. Um, and I avoided it. Right. And Two, like really look at who your target client is and who the target buyer is and like, what do you need from them? And you're not, you're not there just to like give them everything and pacify them. But like, if they're a client, you want to make sure that they're a fit for you so that you can be successful with them. And, you know, we've learned that and gotten much more clear over the years and our clients are tremendous and they're so much fun to work with and they're great relationships and they bring more to us in the future and they, they last for a long, long time. And so it's really, really important um, to get clear on who you're target client is, who your target buyer is, what expectations you have for them. If you're going to work together, what expectations they should have for you and getting clear on those things. And I know it narrows the pot down for you, but the more we found that we narrowed the, the potential pool down, the better we did. Um, and we continue to do that. And we're really picky about who we work with, um, and who we don't work with. And I, I found that's just tremendously helpful, but yeah, that was a really big script. And I, I just think it's a big script. It just sticks in my mind. Cause it made me rethink like, Oh crap. Are we like, am I doing this all wrong? Like it made me really question what I was doing. And that was, a it was a challenge. Um, and I would think the other one on line with that was I made this mistake, I don't know, maybe 50 times. Um, not that mistake, but this mistake, maybe 50 times was, sending a proposal after a first meeting. Um, and a friend told me this, he was like, or a mentor told me this, like never send a, a proposal or a statement of work after your first meeting. And it, as soon as he told me that it clicked because your first meeting, you're just getting a sense for each other. You're not saying, and then they'll say, okay, send me a proposal of what you can do. Right. And then you send them a proposal and you spend all this time putting something together. You're not even sure what they're looking for. You're not even sure what the parameters are. You're not sure anything. And you're kind of like throwing something in the dark and spending a lot of time. And then they look at it and they're like, all right, it's either this or nothing or something else versus what we do now is we, we spend a lot more time like getting to know each other and getting clear on, Hey, what does success look like? And how we know if you're being successful and what are like, what are, what are the barriers to doing this? And here are the barriers you should expect when you're doing this with us. And here's the things you should expect are going to work really well. And let's start to see, and let's put something on a whiteboard and let's see, does this plan work together? 
Um, and so it just, it transformed the way we sold, but I can't tell you how many times I did that. And people still say, well, we'll send us a proposal. And I'll say, we won't do that. That's not how we work. If we're trying to work in a bigger relationship together, we're going to map out a plan together. These are really good tips, Aaron. Um, and I probably made a lot of similar mistakes early days um, because oh, just not knowing the value of what you bring to the table. So taking on clients at a very low cost or giving it away for nothing, he values the, the, the product or service that you have, right? Um, and then of course, the, the whole premise of um, understanding what you're offering right, to the, the business owners. So I was doing a lot of sales prior to starting my business. That was my background, actually. So I really oh, that's what I wish I had. That's the background I wish I had. Understanding personas, understanding, like I, first Paul is 90% asking questions, open-ended questions, taking notes, and then putting together where the opportunities are so that I can fill it with what we offer to complement what their gaps are, right? But that takes, it's a skill set, right? It doesn't happen overnight. But when you have something like that, and I didn't have a problem selling early days, I had a problem finding good people, you know, understanding the operations, how to actively, you know, fulfill, right, on all the promises that I had. So it's just different challenges for different entrepreneurs and business owners because you bring to a different skill set to the table, right? Um, so I love, you know, you sharing that with the audience. Um, so regarding some of the, the changes, so over the last couple of years, you've seen your company transform, more employees, more maybe changes within the, the environment, the scope, the, the industries, the marketplace. What are some of the major ones that you had to change in your offering? Um, did you have to hire differently in order to scale? Did you build some new system process? Did you, you know, your in intake is a little bit different with, knowing your ideal persona avatar, like what has changed in the last five years? For you? Uh, I mean, a lot has changed. We've, you know, we delivered the product, but then we've evolved it over and over and over. I mean, our product, our main product is a boot, several bootcamp series, um, series of bootcamp trainings where it's immersive experience. We have a, you know, two to three hour workshop where you go to work on learning a skill like listening and then you have a homework assignment and then you have a coaching session. Then you go and work on the next skill and it happens over a three month period. And um, what we've had to do is get really clear. I mean, some, some of the things we've done is getting really clear on the journey for the leader and the journey for the client. So like, what is your leader experience? How does it, how do we work together over the course of our journey together, right? Two, three, four years of our, of our client journeys. And that way they know what to expect and what supports them and doing that um, has allowed us to be really successful with clients and really sticky with clients over the years. Um, and we, you know, we really wanted to be hands-on, um, and really support each leader and not make it this, like this machine, like stamp factory. Um, and so we had to bring on people. We brought a head of operations in, we're bringing a client experience specialist in. we have a, a you know, 10 different coaches that we use to make it so that each leader has a chance to be successful. And we customize each training, even though our training is a training, right? Even though our boot camps are boot camps, we still customize it to each leader. Um, and that's something that we found is really, really super helpful because if we're trying to move the needle on the future of work, if we're trying to create organizations that live into this future and leaders who live into this future, we need to think about each of the leaders we work with. And so 
making sure that that was the focus as we evolve and as we change and how do we enhance that experience. We spent a lot of time enhancing that experience and knowing that that will pay off in the long run. And it has, um, right. Leaders who do well, only talk really well about us. And there's plenty that don't do well, uh, you know, a handful that don't do well, but the leaders who do really well, um, continue to talk and benefit and, and benefit long-term because they've changed their behaviors. The other thing that we did was COVID hit. Um, and we had a, a decent chunk, I would say probably 60 to 70% of our training was live and we'd go to clients and we'd go to clients in Belgium or New York or Chicago, or, you know, wherever else in the world and deliver trainings, and then have some virtual stuff and a mix. And when COVID hit, we had to pivot for all of our clients and for our future business to say, how do we do this remote? And how do we do some of this intimate personal skills and, um, soft skill training and one-to-one stuff virtually. And we had to rethink, we didn't just like say, okay, each workshop, here's the outline. And now you're just going to go deliver it virtually. We had to rethink each of the sessions and relook at the activities and relook at all the different interactive things that we did um, to optimize them. And so we spent a good chunk of last year, really doing that, going deep into each session and revamping and revising and um, going virtual. Actually, we, we realized opened way more doors because people could come in like last week, we had two new boot camps kick off, and we had people from Israel, California, Belgium, London, Chicago, Arizona, Texas, like all these different places, all in one room. Um, and so it it opened doors for us to increase access for people, increase access for clients, make it easier for them to be part of the room, and that really made it open the doors um, in a lot of different ways. And we found it actually it's it's if not better, just as good of a training, like our net promoter scores are better than they've ever been um, in terms of how people are taking it and taking action from it. So I love in-person and plenty of people still say, I wish we had in-person, um, but virtual has been, you know, just incredibly powerful for so many people. Yeah. And especially when you built your business on 67% in-person, this change of pandemic um, you know, not just strategically, but even long-term, right? Like, how are you going to do business when things open up again? And is it going to stay this way? Or do you want to go back to live? And what is the bandwidth? What is the scalability and profitability potential? Or what are the demands from the customers? Like, what are their expectations? Are they actually enjoying it better being remote online? Or do they actually enjoy the in-person? And listening, understanding, like, what do they want so that you can cater your deliverables so that you get better customer experience, better loyal, sticky clients, right? And that's how business owners should be proactively growing, right? Listening. Yeah, and we really have two, like, uh, solution types or customer sets. One are companies that are big enough to have team trainings internally, where we do cohorts and boot camps with them. And that's, you know, that's a bulk of our business is where we do that. And then we have individuals who want to come to a boot camp or companies who want to send two or three or five leaders to one of our boot camps where we have, you know, 15 leaders from seven different companies. And so there's kind of like the individual boot camp and then there's a team training. And both those tracks, it really makes a difference. And so we're staying, at least for now, virtual. And we're going to look at what's best for the people, what's best for the leaders and what's best for the companies. And so if a company said, Hey, right, we're in Chicago or we're in New York, or we're in a place where it's safe uh, to be, to be, you know, in person and we're not putting anybody at risk on our end and they're not putting anybody at risk on their end. 
we have no problem going back live and doing things in person. We're planning that right now. We have some things planned in person and we have hybrids of in-person virtual because what we found is clients, you know, bringing all their people into one place is actually quite costly and doing it multiple times. We don't just do a one-off training. Our training is built over time. That's kind of what makes us different and unique is like the training builds and evolves and people have to practice in between. And so bringing people in multiple times into a live setting can be expensive um, and logistically challenging. And so what we're finding is clients are wanting to talk about hybrids or for certain groups and certain populations, we do certain things. And so that we are, you know, we're seeing and we're advising and we're giving them, you know, advice based on, Hey, like, where's your company at? Are you going to put somebody who doesn't feel comfortable with high risk at risk? We're not going to do it. Like, there's no reason to put somebody to be in our training room. You want to feel safe in the first place, physically and, and psychologically safe. Cause that's where the best growth and development happens. And so if, if the physical environment is going to make people feel unsafe, then we're not going to do it because they're, our client's not going to be successful. Like they're not going to get what they want. So there's no point. And so we're, we really juggle all those things and look at each scenario independently and say, we're not going to say everything's live or everything's virtual. We'll say, we're going to take it case by case with people. And what we've seen is in the worst case for people who want to do in-person, virtual is just as successful and they're going to get just as good of an impact uh, virtual, even though it doesn't, you know, some people are like, I don't believe you, Aaron. Uh, we've seen it. We've seen people be super, super successful in that way. Um, well, I, I just have a last couple of final questions, Aaron. So where do you see yourself in the next five, 10 years? Uh, your current businesses, like, are you planning on growing, scaling different countries, different events, different boot camps, um, or like, and even personal besides business, what about your personal? Uh, yeah, um, I see us continuing to evolve, raise the bar uh, to serve leaders, to serve not just hundreds of leaders a year, but thousands of leaders a year. And what that means in terms of how we have to grow the business, that's like kind of secondary. It's not like, hey, I want this much revenue in this big of a company. It's like, I want to actually impact this many companies and this many, you know, these types of leaders. So our picture, our visions of the future, when we look at it as a team are, you know, thousands of leaders touched and impacted and, and hundreds of businesses um, changing the way they work. And so what that means of how the business needs to grow we're, we're going to map that out each, each and every year is what we do. We map that out. We map out a three-year and, and then a one-year picture of what that looks like. And it really stems around that, right? If we do that with 30 people on staff, or if we do that with a hundred people on staff, I'm going to let that evolve in the way it needs to. I personally, I love smaller teams, but I'm not going to hold back uh, serving others in that way, just because I like a smaller team. Um, and stride, I see stride, uh, really growing incredibly rapidly. It's, it's a market that's there. It's people who need not only mental, but professional development. Um, and this is access for them. So I can imagine that growing um, incredibly rapidly, really, really fast over the next five to seven years uh, to be one of those, you know, bigger SaaS players in the market. Um, I imagine that one going fast. And for me, um, continuing to enjoy working with the people I work with uh, continuing to make sure that there is time for family and friends and personal pursuits like uh, triathlons. Uh, I don't know if you could see over here, um, you know, riding and running and doing things that make me feel connected and, um, and fulfilled. And it's not, you know, work is a, is a huge portion of that. And I, it's a huge portion because it fills me up, uh, but it's not the only portion. So I see myself kind of continuing to um, enjoy life in those ways and not, 
not uh, choose to limit myself based on, oh my God, I got to put all these hours of work in. It's like, no, we can grow it in a way that's different, right? In my mind, the future work is not one where you put in 80 or hundred hour weeks. Um, yes, that helps you be successful, but that's not the only way to be successful. I'm not a proponent of uh, grind it out um, until you burn out type of work. But it also means you it's your business. It's different when you're funded. Um, it's different when you're a startup VC, you have a lot of obligations. So for you, I, I think growing at your own, having your own say, making it your own speed, having a well-balanced lifestyle, that's what business owners should be like. And therefore timing has to do with a lot of it because people have different circumstances that they have to endure. Um, let it be, you know, elderly parents or children or whatever, different parts of the world, right? Um, so understand where you are and when is a good time for you because everyone has their dream. Everyone has their own pursuits, right? Just make it your own. So I love how you put it at the end. Um, really want to thank you, Aaron. Um, I will have all the show notes um, with the links. If anybody wants to reach out to you, what's the best way to contact you? Um, so they can find me on LinkedIn, just Aaron Levy, or they can go to raisebar, R-A-I-S-E-B-A-R, .co, that's our website, or uh, Stride's website, strideapp.co, and you can reach out to me on either one of those. Amazing. Well, thanks a lot. I'm very honored to have you. Uh, thank you for providing such great input, um, wise comments, wise feedback, because business owners, it's hard, right? And I'm glad that you're in it for five years and you're still loving what you're doing. You're still excited, hiring more people, you know, doing your triathlons, having a balance in life. This is what life should be all about with every entrepreneur, right? But not everyone is taking it this way. So thank you so much, Aaron. Um, and hopefully you had fun on the show. Yeah, it was a pleasure, John. Thank you for having me. Thanks for the great questions and listening to me and sharing my, uh, sharing my story. I appreciate it. No problem. Thank you for listening to our latest podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the business sphere and share this episode. Tune in next week for more interviews from entrepreneurs.